Wait, don't skip this. We have launched the Folly Coffee Hot Sauce Kickstarter. Go to follycoffee.com slash kickstarter now. We only have one week for the early bird specials. Don't miss out. Disregard this terrible audio quality. I needed to get the message out. Follycoffee.com slash kickstarter. Go there now. Hey, this is Rob. This is episode 55 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. I am here with Brian Ingram. Let me get out the scroll. The owner of Hope Breakfast Bar, Wood Fired Canteen and the Gnome, or Cantina and the Gnome, formerly launching New Bohemia and also launching Cargo Food Authority, 7th Street Food Truck Park, Bus Stop Brew House, all with the Williston Restaurant? Uh, no, New Bohemia and Truck was- Park were on their own uh, different company. Williston Holding was with uh, Cargo and Bus Stop, yeah. Uh, and you won 2017 Nations Restaurant New Hot Concept with New Bohemia. And yeah. You launched them to seven locations while you were still a part of that team. We did, and Gene Simmons actually handed me the award. That was pretty amazing. <laughs> and that brought you on Fox and Friends on the national news front in 2017. It did. It opened a lot of really crazy doors that I never thought uh, I would have. Yeah, And I'm pretty sure I've told you this, but... Uh, the way we met is I saw <laughs> I saw the story about Hope Breakfast Bar and obviously like the story of Hope and your whole concept, which we'll get to, was extremely compelling to me. And I just I was like, where can I get in contact with this guy? This guy's like your the resume and all you've done. Sure. I was like, I just want to meet this guy at the very least. And I ended up like finding you on LinkedIn. It was just like, I don't know if you've chosen what you're doing for coffee, but please like meet with me before you do. And your you, timing was impeccable. I, it, 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 you literally, we were trying to decide literally those days and uh i didn't know which way we were gonna go yeah um when people ask me is is it hard work or luck i'm like it's 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 luck and (laughs) and like there's a lot of stupid timings that i find myself on the right side of and that was one of them you're like oh thanks for messaging we're choosing our coffee like today and i was like i will meet whenever you need (laughs) but uh Obviously, you've done a lot in food and beverage. You've done a lot of different concepts, but I want to start with what you've done here in the Twin Cities in sure. just the, the last year, which is insane to think about. That's just, you just hit the one-year anniversary of Hope. Yep. And what I love, and as I get to know you more and more, you, both you and Sarah, is how genuine both of you really are in what you're doing. Because I, I think... Me personally, a lot of people get really jaded to marketing campaigns of yep. we're here for the community. And if that's what we need to put on our tagline to get you to buy our product, we'll say that. But sure, with what you're doing at Hope and your new concepts, can you explain just how you came up with the idea of giving back and like what drives that in all your sure. concepts now? My wife. Uh, I mean, that's really what drove all of what we're doing with Purpose Driven Restaurant. Sarah wanted to do a nonprofit uh, neither of us had ever ran a nonprofit. She had worked in nonprofits. I had always ran restaurants. So we just wanted to figure out how do we bring those together and be really authentic on how we're doing it. Cause like you said, sometimes it comes across very gimmicky or it seems like you're, Oh, they're only doing it to get press or that kind of stuff. So it's a really weird line that we have to walk because we want people to know, like if they're donating to give hope or they're doing stuff that their money's being well utilized and being used in the right way. So we talk about it and put it out there so people understand where that money's going. And sometimes it fills a little bit 
self-serving where people are, you'll post it and you'll be like, gosh, I hope they don't think that I'm doing this because I want an attaboy. Really, the only reason we're able to do this is because the community surrounded us. Well, it's like, unfortunately, because so many huge corporations do that and you're just like, you know, you're watching a Super Bowl commercial that was paid for with millions of dollars to tell you about the small amount they did. Yep. But the, the, the one that sticks out to me is obviously what happened during COVID at Hope. Yep. This happens, everything starts shutting down, and then I see it pop up on my feed, and you're like, we are going to feed the community. Yeah. And again, I think a lot of people probably read that and are like, okay, this is how they're getting the headlines, but <laughs> can you recap that period of time Yeah. from when COVID hits, everything gets shut down, and how you came to the decision of... Not only just, you know, we're going to shut down, we have to, but we're going to shut down the restaurant and solely, we're going to feed the community, literally make meals for people who need it. Yeah. So I start every morning with prayer. So I was actually sitting downstairs at our house and it was, I think about a week before the governor shut the restaurants down. So I think it was on Thursday or Friday and I was downstairs and I, and I, I just, I didn't tell Sarah, I didn't tell anybody. I just, I posted any family in need of a meal, uh, you can come by hope and we will feed you. Um, this was before the governor shut down. A lot of it had to do with school lunches and all the schools that were being shut down. And we wanted to make sure we knew students were being fed, but a lot of those families weren't being fed. So we, we posted that online and it really it went viral, uh, by Sunday, I think we had a couple thousand people that had requested meals and uh, I, I called a, a meeting with them, kind of our core group. And I said, um, we have a lot of people that need to be fed and we're not going to open for business tomorrow. We're just going to flop to a community kitchen. And uh, I think it was two days later, the governor shut all the restaurants down. So we, we had already pivoted uh, before the governor did the shutdown just based off of the sheer amount of people that were asking for meals. And it just kept growing and growing and growing every single day. And how many meals did it end up being by the end of that program? Well, that program, I think we did just over 75,000 meals. And I think as of now, we're just over 100,000 meals. It's unreal. Because I, I remember the interview that went up where you're like, well, we're just going to do this until either the <laughs> donations stop coming in and we go broke or yep. the donations continue coming in and we can keep doing this. And I, again, I think there's probably people that are like, uh, it's a marketing yeah. line and in personal conversations you and I had, you're like, no, that's, we, that's the plan. We, uh, we literally went all in. We knew everybody was suffering. It wasn't just us that were suffering and hurting. And I think what did it for us, Sarah had, there was a, a lady that pulled up in front of hope and she was in what most would probably consider a nice SUV, but she had towels in the windows and uh, her and her kids were living in that SUV and it looked like your average everyday soccer mom. And it really set, set into us. And she was like, if you have any money for gas so we can continue to heat the car and do, if you have any food and Sarah came in and was just bawling and she's like, what, what do we do? And we just, so we fed them and we fed them they came back almost daily, I think throughout uh, COVID and we're living in that. So for us, it's how do you prosper when others are uh, really where they're at? So we, we did, we went all in and we blew through six figures in about 10 days. And uh, then um, CBS national news uh, came out and they ran a story on it. And 
donations started coming in. We had donations from New York and Florida and all of this stuff. And it seemed like every time we, we kind of set a threshold, we said, we got to be able to pay two months of rent and pay our car payments so they don't get repoed. Uh, so we said, we're going to get it to 10 grand and uh, we'll stop. And at one point, I think we got down to $7,500. And um, I said, we're, we're going to have to stop. And the very next day, we got a check in the mail for $20,000. And there was no return address on it. There was no anything. It didn't, it just said, give hope. And uh, we just, and it was just so crazy to have that take place. Unbelievable, and that that's that, that just stuck with me because I, I th- even after we had that conversation, we're like, no, that that is the plan. I was yep. like, that that had a huge impact on just the way I thought about things and just what it takes as a community to be able to get through stuff like this. And then I started thinking, well, it's like it's so hard sometimes when you're worried about your own stuff and you're worried about like, well, I'm struggling and my stuff yeah. is hard too. That it's like, well everybody's in the same boat. And if everybody thinks about, well, my stuff is really bad, then it's going to get worse for everybody versus like, well, how can I leverage what I have and what I'm doing to be able to help? And that has definitely impacted some of the things that we've tried to do and decisions we're doing moving forward. I want to start on that just because that was hugely impactful. And I I can't reiterate that enough because it's like, I I just, because it's a personal conversation we had, I wanted to just say that because it's like, it's not a marketing thing. And that's impacted me to be able to work with you and Sarah as people that just like really care. And it's really refreshing of someone that's like had your success in the restaurant industry for as long as you had and still to have that, that approach is awesome. And we're, we literally are live all in like this, even like we've opened two restaurants during the pandemic and some people will be like, well, you've really prospered or you, no, we we're payroll to payroll like a lot of people. We're we live this month to month just like everybody else that's going through this. Yeah, we have a lot more employees now. We have a much bigger payroll now, but it's we're literally we live this all in and we're just like a lot of families out there. We're one bad week or two bad weeks from not being able to make it. So th- this isn't um I guess the great American success story. This is the great American community coming together. So we know the only reason our restaurants have uh, have thrived and our restaurants have been able to do what they're doing is because our community literally rallied around us and people would literally just show up with i had all of these bags under my <laughs> under my kitchen sink can you use those to put meals mm-hmm. in people would come in with like a canned food drive and just say i had all of these canned goods can you use it so it literally takes a community in a village. And uh, I think if everybody started living a little bit more like that, it would be a, a pretty cool place. I, I have to absolutely <laughs> agree. So let's start it back at the beginning. Where do you sure. get your start in food? Is it something that you knew you wanted to do growing up or how did you get into it? Yeah. So I, I skied a lot when I was a kid. I was a downhill skier in Alaska and that's really what I thought my life was going to be. Um, and luckily, my mom or somebody was smart enough to go, you're the world's worst student. You should uh, learn how to cook. So my uncle, his name was Flip. They had a restaurant called Flip's Flying Coffee Shop in Homer, Alaska. So everybody just thought it was cute seeing this little kid cooking behind the grill. Um, so customers would come in and go, oh, I want Brian to cook my food. So it literally started when I was probably 12, 13 years old working behind the grill there. And then when I was 14, I started my apprenticeship with a guy named Hans Kruger uh, up in uh, Alaska. And I, I worked with him. I worked with a guy named Al um, all the way up until I was 18. And then I uh, 
went out and started opening restaurants in San Francisco and really kind of trying to hone my craft with a company called Restaurants Unlimited. And how did you get connected with them? How do you go from doing the apprenticeship up in Alaska to finding yeah. yourself in San Francisco opening restaurants? Um, it was really weird. So there was a there was a really popular restaurant in Anchorage, Alaska called uh, Simon and Seaforce. So I started with them um, just as a line cook, and they had these things where they would train you, and you would be like a yellow scarf, a blue scarf, and a red scarf, and then you would get to be a kitchen manager. So I wanted to get through all the scarves as quick as I could. I, w- I knew at that point that I wanted to be a chef. Um, so... I, and I wanted to be the youngest chef in that company's history. So um, I worked my way through it. They were opening up, um, I, I think it was called Skates on the Bay in Oakland, California. It was just on the other side from San Francisco, from the Bay Area. It was on Alameda Island. Um, and I got there the day before the big San Francisco earthquake hit. So where all those freeways fell years ago was probably before you were even born. <laughs> they uh, they fell and I, I just moved there from Alaska and my family's calling going, are you? are you okay? And I was like, yeah, we're the road right in front of us collapsed on it, but uh, we were okay. And uh, so that's when I really started getting really serious, I guess, about my craft and, and did it all over out there. And what was the driving motivation where just at such a young age, you just immediately were like, I want to get through these scarves faster than anyone. I think it was, I knew I was never going to be the smartest person <laughs> in the room, but I thought I could outwork anybody. So that, I think that came from my mom, my parents, uh, owned liquor stores when I was a kid and we didn't have a lot of money and lived in a pretty ran down apartment when it first started. So I watched my parents literally sleep at this really, really ran down liquor store in Alaska and watched how hard they worked and they built it into this thriving business. And I think they had three or four at one time. And, um, I just really watched what they did and saw how hard they worked and knew that that was going to probably be my path as well. It wasn't going to be through academics. Because that's something that stuck out to me working with you just initially when I met with you. We're looking at the bare bones of Hope Breakfast Bar. It's, a, it's an old firehouse. You told me the story that somebody was going to open it into a wine bar, stopped at the last second, said, no, we're not going to do this. And then you got a hold of the building. And you're, I was like, oh, so when are we launching? Like, you know, next year? And you're like, no, uh, we're aiming for 30 <laughs> days from now. And I was like, what and you're like yeah that's this that's the timing i like to have on it yeah and uh, i was like oh so at one point i was asking i was like so do you just delegate everything is that how you get so much done you're like no i'm actually a control freak i have my hands on pretty much everything and so the amount of work you're doing is still to this day is insane to me i think again i just grew up with it even when we were opening new bohemias like we would open those in 30 days from permit till the time we were open and everybody would always go, there's no way you can do that. It's not possible. And I'm like, it is possible. And when you go, you know, when you go out and you negotiate a lease and if you get a year's free rent, you want to get that open and making money as quick as possible. So I think when you don't have a choice, when your paycheck literally depends on it and you don't have a choice, you, you do what you have to do to work. And I think a lot of people don't understand that with, us as small business owners, they think they live in the big house or they live in this. It's no, we, we pay our rent and pay for our kids to go to school and pay our bills based off of how hard we work and what we do. So it's not, it's not the glamor. I think that a lot of people think it's, you know, it's, it's hard work. Yeah. Everyone wants to know like the secret, like, Oh, what was the move you, you know, you hear the stories about like the founders that had the revolutionary idea that just took off on its own. And they're like, so what, how'd you get to where you are? It's just like, 
a lot more work than I'd like to admit, actually. Yeah. I would like to say it was less work than it actually is. Yeah. When you moved to San Francisco, yep. is it what you expected? Like, wh- wh- were you excited to get out of Alaska, or what was that? I've, Where I've, were the range I've, of I've never been back. <laughs> I left Alaska, and I've never been back. So, for me, it was, I knew I always wanted to travel, and I wanted to see the world, and that's the one thing um, that being, I, I, I call myself a glorified line cook. That's really what I am. And I've been able to literally travel the world. I've, I've cooked in other countries. I've worked in almost every state in the United States, opening restaurants, uh, Mexico City, London, Paris, Singapore, all of these different places. Um, and the only way I was able to do that is through cooking. Like it wasn't, it wasn't my education. It wasn't any of that, it was, I put my head down and I worked and uh, it opened so many doors for me. And uh, I've worked for some of the, I worked for Alain Ducasse in New York, the most decorated chef in the world with 20 Michelin stars. And uh, I worked for the Rooney family that owns the Pittsburgh Steelers and did restaurants for them. I worked for MGM Resorts in Vegas, creating concepts in Vegas. So, I mean, who would have thought a, a, a <laughs> not the brightest kid in the world out of a, a small town in Alaska could do that. And it's literally from being a line cook. Was there a period of time during your career that it, the, the trajectory picked up and you find yourself in these scenarios or, or yeah. was it kind of a slow build that you just all of a sudden I, one day you're, wor- you're working it, for it? It, it was really weird. What I would say is I was an early bloomer. So I came out really fast and at one point, I was one of the youngest executive chefs in the country. I think I was 19. I couldn't even drink liquor uh, at our meetings and stuff. And then I plateaued. <laughs> I had my my 20s. I think I was just kind of being what a typical 20-year-old is. I opened up my own restaurant and was bankrupt fairly <laughs> shortly after that. Um, so I think I was an early bloomer. Then I plateaued, and then I had to... Re- refocus. I mean, I lost everything in my thirties. I was, I was up in Prescott, Arizona and I was making really bad decisions. And, uh, I was married at that time and had two small kids. And I thought I was this celebrity rock star of a chef. And I wasn't that. And, uh, the world has a really good way of bringing you back to ground. So lost my house, lost my cars, lost literally everything, boat, kids, wife, lost it all. Went back to uh, a friend of mine, got me in with MGM Resorts in Vegas. Uh, and there I am at 30 years old riding a bike to work. Uh, I'm the manager of a restaurant, but I didn't want people to see me. And I'm locking up my bike uh, on a fence like two blocks away. And somebody came up to me and they're like, did I see you on your bike? And it's Vegas. Yeah. It's 120 degrees in the summer. I was like, yeah, I'm trying to get into shape. And uh, so, yeah, no, I had to I had to start over in my early 30s and uh I, I more like my mid thirties and, and literally get grounded and get humbled. And I think that's a lot of why I do what I do now is I got, I had to eat a big, big piece of humble pie and uh, got to see what it means to rise to the top and what it means to fall all the way back to the bottom. What was it like with the people surrounding you in that time of your life? Cause that seems to be something that shapes a lot of people's journeys. That's that have a similar sure. arc is were the people around you, what was that like during that time when you're at MGM and you're starting over and you're riding your bike to work yeah. and like really starting from scratch? Yeah. It, well, so I, my, my mom's always been the, my number one fan and she would back anything that I had wanted to do or do. So, um, she helped me to get into an apartment after losing everything. So I had my parents that were, I was fortunate that helped me out with that. 
Uh, I have three lifelong best friends that have been with me through thick and thin. And one of them, his name was Noel. He's the one that had an in for me at MGM. And um, I, again, I went from owning my own restaurant. I was doing my own thing. And I think they offered me 45 grand or something to start as an assistant manager with them um, and had to work my way up to being a GM to sitting on a board for strategic restaurant development within MGM. So Again, it just, I, I had to hunker down and do what I knew I had to do, but I had to uh, start all over again. How did all of this affect like your work ethic and the, did that maintain throughout that or was it affected by the, all the exterior things going on? Yeah. Well, I think my work ethic, when I, when I had my own place, when I was in Arizona, one, one of my restaurants was on a golf course and I thought I could just go out and play in a skins game every day and the restaurant would take care of itself and the restaurants would, would thrive and that they would do well and, uh, the one thing that you learn very quickly in the restaurant business, if your finger's not on the pulse of it and you're not in your restaurants and uh, making sure that people have the same passion that you have, things aren't going to work out real well for you. So um, I, that that's what I did. I, d- I decided that uh, maybe I, I'd worked hard long <laughs> enough and I'm going to uh, go golfing every day. I'm going to go out on a boat every day and I'm going to do things that I wanted to do. And uh, it, it, that was not the time for that. And how long were you at MGM in Las Vegas? Uh, I was with MGM Resorts for, gosh, what was I with them for about four years? And then a guy named Mark Advent, who actually created the New York, New York Hotel in Vegas. Uh, he was working for the Rooney family and Alain Ducasse. And he, uh, I had met him and they, he said, hey, the owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers would like you to come out and design some restaurants in New York and come work for him in New York. And I, I thought he was crazy and full of it. And uh, next thing I know, I'm on a flight to New York and uh, sitting with uh, Mr. Rooney and uh, Tim Jr. and all of those folks. And they said, oh, this is Alain Ducasse, most decorated chef in the world, 20 Michelin stars. We're going to be bringing him in. And do you think you could work together? (laughs) (laughs) On. Yeah. What was I'm trying to picture being in that meeting. What, what, what were you feeling at that point? Did you feel like you were prepared and you were ready for that moment? No, I was in so far over my head. Yeah, no. I, and I think probably every step of my career and every step of my life, it's that fake it till you make it. I can't, I can't even tell you how true that is. It is if you just believe in yourself and just know no matter what the world's going to throw at you, that you're going to come out on the other side of it. So I think I went into that and I just, I just, said i'll i'll figure it out and i had always been like i could create a restaurant concept but i was dealing with construction and all of these things and finance and stuff that i hadn't really dealt with in the past so for me it was it was a huge huge learning curve and um it was one of the coolest experiences of my life. Yeah. The fake it till you make it strategy is something that I embrace fully, but I've, I, I struggled with it for a while. Cause I was like, but sure. I, it sounds bad. It sounds, but I'm like, my, my approach to it is like, well, if someone's done it, that means there's a way to do it and yeah. I will agree to it and find out the way that it was done. Yeah. <laughs> and that's literally how it led up to me meeting you and having all the things in place that we could work together in, in terms of like serving equipment and the right partners in place is, is all the no's I got because of this, this, and this. I'm like, okay, well, there's a way to do this. Yeah. How, how long was that process like? Um, God, I was in New York for what, three or four more years out there. And it was such a, it was such a cool experience in my life because like I'd be golfing with uh, Tim Jr. and he's yelling at this guy, um, 
Madden and he's like, Madden, get off the blankety blank course or get off the green. And I'm looking at Timmy and I'm like, Madden. And I'm like, who's, who's Madden? He's like, Steve Madden, the shoe guy. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> so in their world, this is all just normal. And I mean, so the Rooney family and the Mara family that owns the Giants are very intertwined out there. So it's Katy Perry singing at uh, Tim's birthday party. And it's <laughs> um, it was just such a surreal thing. I, I went to a golf in Florida with uh, with him once. And I mean, it's Robert Kraft. It's the owner of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's Donald Trump. It's all of these people that that are in this circle and I'm in the locker room and I'm just like, this is the coolest thing ever. And I'm breaking out my phone to snap some photos and people are literally pouncing on me, to, screaming at me and taking my phone from me going, you don't, you don't take that out. And um, I played the worst round of golf in my entire life with, <laughs> with these guys. Uh, but it was just such a, it was, it was really, I guess, cool to get to see that side of, of life and get to see maybe how the other folks live and see a, uh, a bar tab that's $240,000. <laughs> yeah. I think the closest thing I could say to that is me and my buddy DeAndre did a security at a Super Bowl party. Yeah. And we uh, were supposed to be the people standing outside. This is when it was in Minneapolis, of course. And we were supposed to be the guys outside letting yeah. people in. Or no, actually, the opposite. Telling people, no, you can't come in. This yeah. is not not an exit or entrance or whatever. And then last second, they're like, oh, actually, you're going to be uh, the VIP carpet. And so we're in our snow gear letting in the VIP guests. And then they said, after you're done, you can go up and hang out with them. And that that's sure. the closest I've gotten to seeing the other side. So I can only imagine what it was yeah. like to be in the actual group and not the security guard that people are it's, telling what to do. It's really funny. And Mr. Rooney, I've, I've got tattoos everywhere and everything. And we're on the first tee. And I think Mr. Rooney looked at everybody. And he's like, I'm not sure if he's going to rob us or if he's going <laughs> to hit the ball. And that was it. I was done for the day. I played horrible. And so presumably that goes well, seeing as what happens after that and with just your career what yeah. what was the next step after that step in so new york after that uh i had worked with again my friend noel he had created this ice bar concept in las vegas and uh he had a gentleman named bob sabus that was uh his partner in it and the primary investor in it bob was here in minneapolis and um wanted to do this sausage and beer concept so uh, i flew out from new york and we uh talked about new bohemia and and kind of um, came up with a, a, a plan for me to become an owner again. And that's really what I ultimately wanted to do is own my own restaurants again. And uh, so I, I left what I was doing in New York and I still think back on that sometimes and go, why that was the coolest job. Why did I, why did I leave that? Uh, but it was, I came out here, Bob's from Minnesota and he said, um, if we're going to do this, you gotta, you gotta live in Minnesota. And Bob was gracious enough to let me, kind of do what I do. And, uh, we opened up seven new bows. I think we had to get to five. We always had a goal that said, we want to create these restaurants and make this collection of restaurants. And, uh, ultimately our goal was really to sell that. Uh, or that was my goal, yeah. I should say. And we, uh, we, we won the hottest concept, did kind of everything that we set out to do. And then, um, truck park came along and I'd always wanted to do food trucks and doors. And everybody thought I was crazy, including the <laughs> building planners and everybody they're like you want to do what and i'm like real working kitchens on food trucks and i want them inside they would never let me i had to pull the motors out of them but all the trucks were literally you're cooking the food on it and 
even to this day, people like, you know, you, you guys had a commissary kitchen. There's, there's no commissary kitchen at truck park. All the, all the food is made on those, uh, on those food trucks. So, uh, I had a ton of fun doing that with Bob and, um, was, was fortunate enough to now be out on my own and not have any partners, so to speak. I've got my brother-in-law and, uh, I have one angel investor, Jeff, um, him and his wife, Debbie, but, uh, we, we get to do restaurants on our own terms now. And as you're driving here in the snow on October 20th, an indoor yeah. food truck park sounds like a pretty damn good idea. <laughs> right. What was your initial feeling when they said it has to be Minnesota? Um, I had, I had been out here once I was opening a macaroni grill years ago out here. I'd flown out here and, um, I, I was in complete, I, I think shocked that one, I have to come to Minnesota and I'd never really spent any time here. And I was, I, I guess I just had a whole different idea of what Minnesota was. I thought it was going to be this very, I don't know what you would say. Oh, hello. Yeah. 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 Welcome to Minnesota. (laughs) Exactly. I thought it was going to be a culture shock for me and I've got two biracial kids and I was like, Oh man, I don't know if this is going to be good. And um, so I rented my apartment uh, from New York side unseen at Lorraine park and uh, moved out here and, met my wife literally I think within two weeks of being here I had met Sarah um and we uh started dating probably six months later and she has this huge kind of Swedish Norwegian family so a hundred people show up at your house at Christmas and it's it's one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of and the city I was just so shocked about the camaraderie in New York and Vegas it's all the chefs are against each other Mm -hmm. it's it's very much I'm the winner, you suck, and I'm the best. And here it's such this collective and collaboration, and everybody's rooting for each other, mm-hmm. and it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Yeah, it's. I, I say that just the winters keep out. They keep us from being like the next Denver or Nashville where it gets over-flooded yeah. for a period of time and then it gets too expensive, and then you get yeah. the back end of that. I've always said that it's like this hidden yeah. thing because the winter sucks so much. Yes, 100%. <laughs> As you're getting this like massive success or just like these continued successes. Do you feel, did you feel any of that like old feeling of like, I'm the man, like creeping back or did that, that stuck with you? My humble pie. And again, I found my faith in the middle of all of this. So I think that helps to keep me very grounded. Uh, I have two kids that keep me very grounded. They're, um, they're very big on their faith and they're very big. Anytime dad, uh, We'll send them, even when I'll send them a picture of a news clip or something, they'll respond with something like, uh, easy, easy dad. Yeah. Uh, and again, one of my best friends, Angelo, I'll call him and I'll just make a joke. And I'm like, my trophy case is getting bigger. And Angelo's like, uh-huh. oh, really? Remember that time when you called and tried to borrow a thousand bucks from me? And he keeps me super grounded as well. So, yeah, I think for us, it's um, the more, I guess, success that we can have. Uh, we We've said we need X to live on and we're, and that's it. And everything else is going to get given back out. So for us, there's no, again, probably to a fault. We don't have big coffers. We don't have, we're never going to be that one that has, we've got enough money in the bank to get us through the year. We, we truly live our lives like, uh, like I think they should be lived where it's, we're, we're going to give back as much as we're going to give until it hurts. And sometimes we don't even know what, what that is. And I, I get it a lot from other restaurateurs and people will call me and they'll say, well, you can do it because you're this big. I'm like, I'm not, 
big. I live in an apartment on West Seventh, and my restaurants are right here. And I drive a Jeep. It's I, th- I think it's be- <laughs> sometimes it's like your your concepts are so polished, and like it's it's a very well thought out that I think sometimes people are like you walk into a place and it is that fine line. And I, yeah. you know, reading back on cause you explain some of your concepts, it is a fine line between like the gimmicky factor of like the yeah. planet Hollywood style that yep. is no longer popular. And the, this is like the mom and pop where it's not quite polished enough. And yeah. I don't know if I should be eating here. There's like this, this medium ground in the middle. And I think just walking into hope or uh, yep. wood fired canteen or gnome, you go, everything here is so like immaculate down to the detail that sometimes you just assume, Oh, this yeah. must be some big thing doing all this. And I mean, yeah. I've gotten it with the fact that we have pre-printed coffee bags. Yeah. People assume this is a larger company cause it's pre-printed and it must be. And it's like, no, I just, no, I prefer how it looks and it's a little bit cleaner. And, uh, but it's, it's so weird. I think the perception is like they own three restaurants. It's, I don't know that we ever really own anything. I have a lease. We have mortgages. We have all of this stuff that um, goes into all of that. So it's, yeah, I think it's really kind of, we, we had one of the employees bring it up in a meeting the other day. They were like, where did you, where did you get all your money from? I'm like, when we started hope we had 10 grand in our bank account and we blew through it and we were fortunate enough to find a good lease. We were fortunate enough to find an angel investor that helped us, but it's and I think that's the thing that if anybody could learn anything from us is it doesn't you don't necessarily have to have a ton of money and you can you can jump without a safety net and uh, sometimes you land on your face I did um, but sometimes you can pick yourself back up as well but I think just don't be afraid to take that step and and do it and if sometimes when there's no safety net you're going to work even harder because you know there's no safety net and this is all to be said, not even mentioning the food program is absolutely killer. <laughs> As you know, I am a personal fan of the breakfast sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> that, how, do, how do you develop your food programs uh, as you open new places? Uh, Hope, obviously being the first, how did you yeah. decide what the menu should be like for a place like this? Yeah, well, I really wanted to do, I knew I wanted, I like to do foods that people are comfortable with and they know and just present them in unique ways. So uh, I knew I wanted to do breakfast. We knew uh, I grew up in the breakfast space and making pancakes and stuff. So I just wanted to do, do it fun. And again, how do you do it and not be gimmicky or be too over the top, but social media is real people. We did, we knew we didn't have a marketing budget. So our marketing was going to be hopefully people saying, Hey, I like this. This is really cool. Um, so we wanted to do cake batter pancakes. And then we wanted to do, we, we love supporting local. So we wanted to find a local coffee person. We wanted to find a local bagel. St. Paul Bagelry, in mm-hmm. our opinion, makes the best bagels in the Twin Cities. So you can build a breakfast sandwich with that. So it was just, let's do fun things and do them differently. So typically I make stuff at home for my wife, Sarah. She's normally the first one that gets to try something and she'll say, uh, <laughs> or and normally if she doesn't say anything, well, it's okay. <laughs> Anytime I get it, it's all right. It's a good it's try. It's okay. Um, then I know I, I, we got to start over. And then um, U.S. Foods has always been a really good partner of mine. And they have this test kitchen at their facility. And I'll call Josh or Steve over there. And I'll be like, uh, I want to borrow the test kitchen. And they'll set me up for a few hours over there. And I'll go play around in their test kitchen. And then once I, once I pretty much have it 95% of the way, uh, then I'll bring in our chef that we may hire for the restaurant or a collaboration. But like 
Yeah, I'm a bit of a control freak. So normally I'm, I'm pretty set on what a menu is going to look like, what it's going to taste like before I ever start collaborating. Um, and then I have a lot of fun with that collaboration, but I'm sure sometimes they wish I was, <laughs> I was a little more bending on stuff. Ah, oh, that breakfast sandwich, St. Paul bagel, smoked pork shoulder, egg, pimento cheese spread. Oh, just like, oh, yeah. and loaded hash browns. If you're not getting the hash browns loaded, you're not doing it right. The yeah. loaded hash browns to do it all on top. I mean, there was a period of time where I was there every Friday. Yeah. Like that's how I kept my week grounded because <laughs> there was a period of time where I'm like, I don't even know what day it is. And yeah. that's the one thing I had every week was every Friday morning I was doing that. And since then, I, obviously things have been a little more crazy that I still don't know what day it is again. And sure. I, I need to get back into that at some <laughs> point in my life. So you have the one location. Yep. You open it into a community kitchen. You're 55,000 meals. And during all of this, you're like, hey, uh, can you come in for a meeting? Uh, I want to talk you know, coffee. Just we got a couple things going on. And you're like, oh, yeah, we're uh, taking over space and opening a uh, all wood fire concept. Yep. And we are also, uh, we took over the gnome space. Yeah. How does that happen while you're doing all of this? Because <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah, that's, it's yeah. like, almost inconceivable most people would be in such panic mode that to even have other plans going on would be almost like panic like to be able to take on more i think um if you've been kicked enough or you've fallen down hard enough that you're you're not scared anymore so i think for me i had been scared before i had been worried before and i i know that i can I can always go cook somewhere. If my, if my whole world falls out, everybody hires line cooks. So if my world ever completely falls apart, I think I can go get a job on a line somewhere. So for me, I'm not afraid to go all in. I know that probably drives my wife crazy. I'm sure it drives my family crazy, but I'm not afraid to bet on myself. And I'll bet if I, if, if I had to bet, like if my life depended on it and I had to go to a free throw and they said, are you shooting or was Michael Jordan? I'm shooting. Uh, so, and that's, I'm sure just stupidity, but that's where I just, I, I think you have to believe in yourself at some point um, if you're ever going to kind of make it. So that's, that's, I guess the why of it. And then the how is really because of COVID and all the horrible things that have been with COVID and the loss of life and all of that stuff. Um, that's just so heartbreaking what happened are people like me that are small restaurateurs that we never had the money to do a personal guarantee. And most landlords would say, I want two years personal guarantee. I need to see a million dollars in your bank account. I need to see all of this. We could never get those deals. That's why we, we frankly did hope where we did it in a small, tiny little building. Um, landlords are now coming to mm. people like me and going, we just need you to <laughs> come take the space. Yeah. And, other restaurateurs spent a lot of money on it. And that's probably the most heartbreaking thing, especially when you talk about wood fired is you, you have Nick and Thomas and these guys from revival that just built such a beautiful space and they, they put their blood, sweat and tears into it. But uh, I don't know how much they spent. My guess is it's three or 4 million that that cost to build out. So we were able to take that and we, we didn't change a lot. We changed a few things, built a patio and did some things, but that was an opportunity for us that we could have never, I could have never built. It's my dream kitchen, but I could have never built it. And the same thing with the gnome. It's an, an old fire station that has been around for a long time, has a lot of history. So the gnome, when I heard the gnome was available, I, I was dialing and calling people on that one just because it was such an institution. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I couldn't get my head around 
why it closed. Every time I was there, it was packed. So I, I just, I didn't understand why it closed. And, um, now I understand that the building needed a lot of, uh, TLC. To, to they kept bring sending it back. me pictures. Yeah. And I was not involved in it and I was still having minor panic attacks. I had a lot of panic attacks when, when you poke your walls, finger through pipes. The wall, yeah. Pipe, <laughs> metal pipes. Yeah. So, um, I think that's why we were able to do it is we were able to pivot and go into spaces that landlords at this time are, are doing it for pennies on the dollar. Your ability to pivot and be ahead of moves is impressive to me. I mean, the the anti-COVID-19 measures you had in place before they were required, before any indoor dining was even allowed, you had measures in place that were just above and beyond what people were even thinking about. Looking ahead to like the winter in Minnesota is obviously going to be a very difficult time for a lot of restaurant owners with the restrictions of indoor dining. We were talking a little bit about it uh, off yeah. mic beforehand, but what do you have in place with these massive patios at the Gnome and at Woodfire yeah. over in St. Paul? What do you have in place to kind of get ahead of that and be able to still utilize those spaces? So uh, I, I think two things. Well, the Gnome is such a big space. and We spent a lot of money doing the upstairs. Sorry, I got to take my coffee break. No, the upstairs. like Yeah, so that giant basketball court and all of the room that we have up there. So there, we're fortunate that instead of sitting on the patio, maybe you'll choose to go upstairs and we can still spread you out socially, get the distance that we need. We're also going to tent some of that patio. Mm. We have a giant fireplace on that patio. So our goal is hopefully some folks will embrace a little bit of the winter and want to spend a a fair amount of time outside. We're also going to heat a giant tent and uh, we'll keep that heated 24-7. Um, and then places like Hope, we're going to put some igloos in the street for mm-hmm. as long as the city is going to allow us to keep that street closed. We'll put out some igloos. I think you just nail down those dividers. Yeah, they have right now. Yeah. This is the most worthless street of all time. Let's just keep we, that closed off. We're petitioning the city right now. So if anybody wants to help us get on board, we're trying to close that tiny little street on Lead Street down permanently, turn it into a green space for Cafe Astoria for us and Scout the clothing store. Uh, it would be such a great thing I really think, for the community the pointless street it is. <laughs> and people fly down it like last year scout somebody literally drove their car through the front door and they had to condemn the building for like six months so it's just it's such i mean it's 50 feet to cut through to get over so i could save madness. a good 45 seconds to get to bad weather brewing though. yeah, like, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. a couple of our neighbors don't like that there's i think six parking spots out there that they're not real thrilled that uh we were able to shut down but um we're hoping that the city's going to let that be a permanent. And then at Wood Fired Cantina, we're going to try to do the fire and ice kind of deal. So that patio outside there, I have a giant 30-foot igloo that's going to be, I think it arrived today. Um, and then I have Chris at Ice Occasions. He's going to, that outdoor bar we have, he's going to turn it into literally an ice fixture. Uh, he's going to build ice sofas and couches and all kinds of ice out there. And that's uh, going to become almost like at a ticketed attraction where you come in, you can spend an hour, we'll serve ice and ice cocktails and do lots of fun stuff. And Noel, please don't hate me for taking your ice bar concept out of Vegas and bringing it here. <laughs> well, it's, <laughs> it's the, 
something I tried to, I've like forced myself to embrace. Have you heard of Jocko Willink before? I feel like I've probably mentioned his name. He's the hardcore Navy guy. He's got the concept good. That anything that happens, you just go good and you find out what's good (laughs) about it. And I get that. I get that feeling from you where it's like, look, this is, this is bad. This is happening to everybody, but it's a level playing field for everybody. So it's almost like if we're on a level playing field, there's going to be people that are going to find good opportunities out of this. It's not, it's, there's no way everything is going to be bad for everybody all the time and so when you talk about like a fire and ice concept like i wasn't even thinking about that in the mindset of oh this is a nice like alternative to it's like that just sounds fun yeah and that's it's like creating opportunities out of these times where there's not many things where it's like oh that actually sounds fun not it sounds fun for these times yeah and that that's what gets really exciting for me is where it's like oh that actually sounds just like straight up cool yeah for us it's again like what you said is how do you like i know when i go home i don't want to just sit at home and do nothing and it's yeah how do we how do we create a space where people feel safe our staff feels safe and uh it's they're willing to leave the warmth of their house to come spend some time with us so we're we're working on some other stuff at keg and case and uh we're we're really going to try hard this winter to turn that outside into this winter wonderland all over over there and uh we're working with the guys from growler magazine on some really cool stuff that hopefully is going to get announced in the next week or two and uh we may be trying to set a world record as well oh I I can't uh, just knowing that like this is not all delegated is stressing me out because I've got like three things going on and I'm like how do I keep up with all of this and you're like we've got the fire knives we got the tent I think the tents came in today and I'd be having panic attacks about it ah uh, that I can't wait to see all of this come together it's going to be it, I think one of the positives that gets continued to be brought up is you see the creative side of the industry uh, out of. Uh, the obvious downside which can't be down downplayed is the solutions that come out of this especially in a place like minnesota where winter is always going to be a problem for restaurants there might be some things that come out of this that become permanent solutions in the future too yeah and i I mean the one thing i'm very cognizant of this mall might all implode this experiment that i'm on it 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 could it could blow up on us like i said there we're we're taking it step by step. We're, we're trying to be educated about it. We're trying to be methodical about it. But um, I think that's why you we continually are trying to push the envelope and trying to stay one step ahead. Is if it's it's necessity. It's amazing yeah. what you'll do when you have to succeed. When you don't you don't have a fallback. And um, like when COVID hit for us as a small business owner, and I'm sure you felt it. There was no there was no unemployment check coming. There was no. Mm we didn't qualify for the stimulus check. We didn't uh, qualify for any of that stuff. So it was, it was make or break. So it was, you you had to figure out how you were going to move and how you were going to move forward because there was nothing coming our way. Yeah. That was the twisted part of my brain is maybe I've been telling myself good for long enough that when all this went down, I like got weirdly like excited that I was like, we're going to make something out of this. Yeah. And I was, again, I was just telling you right before we started that it was like, our overall business is big time hit in terms of yep. just like what we've been able to do revenue this year, sales, all these plans we had in place that just got absolutely wiped out. But there's this new core of the business that didn't exist before with the digital side and a new website. And like we launched on Amazon and all these things that I'm like, these might be bigger than the things we were planning on doing this year, yep. a, a few years down the road. But, yep. but 
I have to make sure we get a few years down the road <laughs> before I can figure that out. Yeah. And, but that, that's been the exciting thing of watching what you're doing is like, I swear every time something's announced, you're like, yeah, no, I know we, we, we've had something in plan. <laughs> By the way, we announced yesterday that we were doing the thing. If that happened, then it gets announced the next day. And I'm like, this guy's like three steps ahead of the, of the game. We're so blessed and so fortunate. Yeah. And, uh, yes, for on our side, it feels like we're always behind the eight ball, but yeah. Um, maybe from the outside. <laughs> <It's different. laughs> well, that's how it's perceived by me at the very least. Awesome. But re- I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens. Uh, these sound like some really awesome concepts. Wood, fi- you got wood fired gnome. Any, yep. uh, any other big announcements outside of like the, the no, we're, we're gonna, we're going to do some stuff inside keg and case. We're working on a concept. Uh, I think we're kind of call it fluff and puff and it's <laughs> going to be all things, cotton candy, marshmallows and hot chocolate. Uh, and it'll be right outside of the cantina space. And uh, we're going to build this giant counter where you can come roast your own s'mores and take take like build your own yogurt mm-hmm. but doing it with s'mores and uh, being able to put all your toppings and all that fun stuff. And the same thing with hot chocolate. Uh, so we're excited to get that up and going. And that'll probably open in the next couple of weeks here. Uh, so that'll be uh, that'll be fun. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time coming in. Thanks. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I didn't know in that story. That's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's impressive. Uh, and I, I, I know I started the episode like it, but the, what you and Sarah do and the way you approach business is definitely had an impact on how I think about things. And even though we're super small and super lean, that it's like, I, I'm trying to put things in place that as when we get to the point that we're not like beyond lean, that we yeah. can start to be more cognizant of those moves that we make. And it's sure. definitely been impacted about how you approach it. And, uh, Anytime something big goes down, you're like, <laughs> um, maybe this isn't how you're feeling, but my perception is like, he's going to figure something out. <laughs> yeah, we're going to try for sure. And that's awesome. Uh, so I, I love working with you and Sarah. It's been honestly like huge game changer for our business. And just, awesome. um, yeah, I can't thank you enough. We're thrilled to be working with you, man. Your energy, everybody says it every time you come in the restaurant, your energy is contagious. So we love it. Yeah, it's, it's there's, there's some days where I wish it was a little less, but I guess in the end, it's probably a net gain for having to run a business, I suppose. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I think that's that's all I can, I can't overstate that enough. And uh, I've, at this time, I probably said it too much that it seems a bit inauthentic, but uh, I think what you both do is like, it's amazing. And that, that's why I get excited when businesses like yours grow because you know, everybody involved with it is going to benefit. And I couldn't say it anymore for us. It's like, as you grow, it helps us. And I know that the intentional choices you're making with everybody you work with and the people you hire, that it's, it's, it's really amazing uh, to see. And um, I'm sure you hear it a lot from the community, but uh, we it, appreciate it, it very much. Yeah, no, it's, 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 you don't see it much. And, sure. and I've, I've said it on past episodes that one of the cool things about being a small business owner is you can quote unquote, choose who you work with. Yeah. More so like you could choose not to work with somebody cause it's hard to find customers, but yeah, that's been one of the great things is like, I think I'm a hard worker and then I see what you're doing and I see our other partners like, like Katie over at angel food, what, yeah. what she's done during all this. I'm like, Oh, I can work way harder and it's, it's, it's awesome. And I like, sure. I like being around people like that. So, um, I will stop, uh, this, e, this word vomiting of emotion and we can end the episode there and I'll end it like I do every other one and say, have a nice day. 